Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. Today we'll turn our attention to our country's southern border. The difficulties facing migrants seeking refuge and asylum have been on the mind of Webster University nursing faculty member Marianne Drake ever since last summer when she first began hearing about children being separated from their parents. She felt compelled to do something to help. So soon she got her colleagues, Sylvia Navia, who is a professor in the Department of International Languages, and Anne Garrity Rathert from the Department of Legal Studies involved as well. Now they've taken two trips along with Webster students to the border, and they join me in the studio. Marianne, Sylvia, Anne, welcome and to the Thank program. You. Thanks Thank so you. much for having us. Thank you. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, you may call us at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can also send us an email at talk at stlpublicradio.org, or tweet us at STL on air. Marianne, uh, you were shocked last summer when you learned of the treatments uh, th- that immigrants and refugees were getting. How did you go from just observing what was happening uh, down at the border, so far away from it, to actually getting involved in doing something? Yeah. Um, well, earlier in my career, I had been a VISTA volunteer along the southern border, and so I was really pretty compelled to do something. Um, I just put out feelers all over. I went through my professional association. I, uh, and then a friend of mine told me about uh, a religious sister, an RCJ sister, that was doing some work with an organization down there. So she kind of introduced me to the organization and I got in touch with them, and I went in August and just kind of scoped things out before we took our two trips to see if it was a, you know, a nice uh, blend of uh, what the work they were doing and what I felt like I was able to do. So we kind of, I found this wonderful organization. It's called Arise, and it's out of Donna, Texas. And it's actually more than 30 years old. It was started by a Mercy sister, uh, Sister Jerry Naughton. And um, she felt very compelled uh, to uh, work to help empower the women and children that live along the border. Uh, And so that's what she did. She kind of focused, first of all, on teaching English classes and uh, over the years, the work has kind of expanded. So when you went down there and when you took groups of students down there, what specifically did you do? Well, uh, the first time I just went to kind of build relationships. And then the second time, uh, I got my friends here to come with us. And we took uh, four nursing students and two journalism students. Uh, which actually the journalism students have won some state media awards for their uh, work along the border. And the nursing students, what we really wanted to be cautious of was to do what the group wanted us to do. And so we really kind of took direction for them because we felt like we're in this for the long haul, kind of. And... uh, They wanted information on diabetes. Uh, They have a high incidence of cancer within some of the neighborhoods there, so they wanted information on cancer and uh, adolescent nutrition. So that's kind of what our first uh, 
trip. That's what our focus was that time. And then Anne could kind of speak. She came along on that trip, and she could kind of speak to the rest of Anne? it, I think. Yeah, so I, uh, Mary Ann, you know, uh, went down there, as she said, over the summer and found this incredible organization. I didn't know what was that I could contribute. I also was very concerned over the summer, but I'm not an immigration lawyer, and I'm, I unfortunately don't speak any Spanish. So while I desperately wanted to do something, I wasn't sure what that would look like. So when Marianne sent us all an email, I immediately responded, and I figured, well, if they needed any legal assistance, I would do that. But uh, otherwise, I just wanted to go in and be a volunteer in whatever way I could. Um, so following Marianne's model, the first time I went down over fall break, I did not bring any students of mine with me because I wanted to see if there was a space in which we would all fit. I, you know, what we didn't want to do, any of us want to do, was to burden them with having to take care of us or, you know, whatever. We wanted to make sure that we could contribute something to the organization that already existed, that is incredibly well organized and structured, um, you know, by these very empowered women. And so we wanted to, to help if we could, but also to not be in the way if we couldn't. So when I went down there over fall break, I, you know, I was sort of in communication with them from the moment I agreed to go. And it became pretty clear that even though I don't have any immigration law expertise, or at least I didn't at that point <laughs> mm -hmm. um, have any, uh, it became pretty clear that any legal assistance was going to be beneficial to them because they literally had no access to um, to any lawyers or anyone who could give them advice. So they are they have a pillar of their social justice organization about immigration, and they are in the process of applying to be certified preparers through the United States government. Um, so there is a status where, you know, basically you, you have to either be a, an immigration lawyer or you have to be a, a certified preparer to fill out some of these forms. I mean, like, the, you know, some of the application forms are, 20 and 30 pages long and in English. So people are at a decided disadvantage without legal assistance. Um, and the average immigration case in the United States costs $35,000 or more. So this group of, as I say, incredibly empowered people at Arise decided they were going to become preparers as an organization and as individuals. And they needed someone to help train them. So um, you know, that that was good for me. They were doing it piece by piece and I could, uh, you know, consult with immigration lawyers, do my own research and help them piece by piece. So it became pretty clear uh, that they needed legal assistance and I wanted to help. And so then when I went back with them over uh, spring break, I brought four legal study students with me who did incredible, incredible research themselves, put together PowerPoints on very specific issues within the immigration process from like FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, and how to access documents to, um, you know, filling out uh, affidavits to getting signatures. So very specific things, all of which are critical to this very difficult and precise process of applying for any kind of status within the United States. And every step along the way is incredibly complex and difficult to maneuver through. So, you know, that's where we found we could best assist. Sylvia, can you talk about what your role was in, in, in this effort? Well, when Marianne put out the call uh, offering anybody who wanted to join her project, I uh, was also very interested in the what was going on at the border. I was reading the headlines, the news, and the separation of families and all that. But I wanted to know more because I was just I wanted to see what was going on there. 
um, obviously the language was one um, uh, one thing that I could contribute to the project, but I wasn't really sure if I would be needed to be translating or interpreting anything because I was going to uh, Texas, that's the U.S., um, and I'm... Uh, I was pretty sure that um, the people we were going to help, uh, Mexican immigrants, they would uh, speak English. Uh, so I was a little uncertain what my role would be. But it turned out that um, actually I was doing a lot of uh, translation, especially for the nursing students. Uh, they do uh, speak English, but I think they feel more comfortable uh, with a translator. And uh, in our group, the Webster group, nobody spoke Spanish the first trip. Well, and, and I, I would suspect that that more comfortable in Spanish, especially when you're talking about medical issues where, mm-hmm. you know, one word that is slightly wrong could really mean a huge yes. difference in a diagnosis or a treatment if exactly. the medical professional doesn't totally know what you mean. Right. Yeah, I, I had the issue. Actually, I hadn't seen the PowerPoints uh, beforehand. Uh, so... I was like, I need to understand all this procedure before I can translate it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, I, I, I had to be asking for explanations myself to be accurate. I'm wondering um, what, what it was like to go down there and, and help these people um, when in the United States right now, there's such a divide over how we view people who are coming to the country seeking refuge or asylum. And when there's such a large portion of the population who think that these people should not get any help, mm-hmm. um, including the president of the United States, mm-hmm. when, when there's that level of public opinion um, on this, did that change your desire increase or <laughs> did, did, what, what did that do to all of your uh, interest in, in this issue? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I it probably actually strengthened uh, my desire to go help. I would, uh, you know, in so many ways, I guess I wanted people along the border to know that not all Americans were like what was being portrayed uh, in their treatment at that particular time. And so for me, um, I mean, I came from a family of immigrants myself and have always... Uh, well, if we go back far enough, all of us did, really, correct. unless you're Native right, American. Right, right, exactly. And uh, I felt as though uh, that really was what the founding principle was of the United States. And uh, so I, I felt like I could offer something you know, when you see uh, another organization we work with is Catholic Charities uh, Humanitarian Respite Center, and they receive people after they've been in the detention camps. And so they've, uh, these are all just families that have petitioned for asylum. So they uh, are in detention for 10 to 14 days and then come over to Catholic Charities where uh, Catholic Charities, they stay there one or two days, 
And in that time, they're given uh, appropriate clothes. They're fed three times a day. They're uh, kind of uh, instructed on how uh, they can get, they, they get bus tickets and instructed on how they can get to the particular place of whoever's sponsoring them across the country. Now, a lot of these people have been in the United States for 10 to 14 days, and they didn't have shoes yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the little kids uh, that didn't have shoes, shoes, appropriate clothes, uh, something had lo- either lost uh, or damaged on the j- journey, or they'd never had it to start. So when you see that like level of poverty, uh, malnutrition, no shoes, um, you know, I think it's important for us to see that face of the people that are coming here to the United States wanting a better life, really. And these were all people who literally crossed the bridge. So these yes. these were not people who were, um, you know, not that I'm blaming anyone, but these were not people who were trying to, um, you know, enter uh, undocumented. They were they were turning themselves over to the border patrol so that they could gain asylum within the United States, and so um, you know that of course is international law. It's also U.S. law. They're entitled to do that, and so I just wanted to make sure myself that that people were getting their their human rights and their constitutional rights to whatever extent that I could ensure them. Um, but as Marianne said, you know, once you see the faces of individuals, you you do understand better, um, you know, that these, are, you know, are not a gang of criminals. They are children and they are vulnerable parents and, um, you know, people who, who are just literally seeking to have a life, not even just to have a better life, but to have a life free from violence, free from trafficking, free from all of the dangers and horrors in their own life life experiences. So we need to take a quick break. We'll be, we'll be back in just a moment to continue our discussion with Webster U- University faculty members, Mary Ann Drake, Sylvia Navia, and Ann Garrity Rathert. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back to St. Louis on the Air here on KWMU. Back to our discussion with Webster University's Marianne Drake, Sylvia Navia, and Anne Garrity Rathert. Um, so when you were down there for both trips, you helped people. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I suspect even with all of the people you helped, it was a drop in the bucket of the number of people who need help there. Correct. So how does that, uh, how do you process that where you're deeply involved on a very intimate level, helping people with this, but you know that even with all of your effort, it's just a tiny number. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Marianne did extremely well in finding Arise was that Arise is is so well organized and they know what they need. Mm-hmm. And so they are looking for assistance. They're looking for volunteers to fit into their organization. That is an ongoing organization. So in some ways it wasn't 
uh, you know, totally overwhelming, although there were aspects of it that were. But to know that we were essentially assisting people who would continue to be there and continue to help made it feel a lot, uh, you know, a lot more important and less futile, right? So, yes, there were moments in which uh, you were looking into the faces of, of children and parents who were so desperate and uh, the, you know, that were extremely poignant. One little girl who really stuck with me was the most serious child in the world. And I was literally trying to find her clothing to wear. And she was expressionless until I pulled out a shirt that had uh, like ruffles on the sleeves and a, a roughly owl on the front of it. And all of a sudden her face just lit up. She smiled from ear to ear and she went, oh, just, you know, that childlike delight in a cute shirt. I mean, it, it was I was happy for her, but it was just a heartbreaking moment. I had to actually leave the room for like five minutes to to re- recuperate uh, from the the horror of that moment for me. Um, so yes, there were overwhelming moments, but it was it was made better by the fact that we were assisting an organization that was going to continue to do this work and that we had also made a commitment that we were going to go back. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to build on that your, that story, um, you know, success stories might not be the right, right way to put it, but uh, Sylvia and Marianne, can you, do you have moments like that, that that really stuck with you, that really made you think during your trips down there that, uh, that you were having that impact? Uh, well, I'm. I guess I'm happy that the people in the organization of Arise uh, want us back. I guess, and so I feel like uh, they can see the value of of what we're doing, and I think we're cautious to follow the direction of what it is they want. They uh, before we leave, they kind of set up what maybe they would like us to to work on on the next trip. So I think uh, that certainly is valuable to me. Uh, I think another thing is you hear so many stories uh, while you're there of uh, people and families that have been uh, affected by immigration or deportation or whatever that, um, you know, they, they... uh, kind of in so many ways fall out of society because they get so scared as to what's going to happen to them, I think. Uh, but uh, I think that w- is what comes to mind to me. I think also like we uh, cooked meals uh, for the recent migrants and uh, it was really fun to me to to kind of you know pass out everybody's meal, and why? Well, I think because people were so grateful about this tiny little bowl of chicken noodle soup, and it was so fun to watch like their inner values, no matter how hungry they were, kind of come forth. They always served all the children first, uh, and you know, kind of made sure that their kids were fed and able to eat before they would take soup themselves. And um, I mean, it's just little things like that, I think, that really affected me the most. Sylvia, did you have any moments, a moment like that that, that resonates with you? 
Well, uh, yes, uh, I was extremely impressed by the uh, leadership of the uh, women who work at Arise, especially uh, Ramona Casas, uh, all of them. But uh, this woman was uh, amazing. She was. Uh, she is so articulate in English and in Spanish, and I believe she had very little schooling. Uh, so that was a model and uh, that that really impressed me a lot and how she put all this together and, um, and made it work. Then I have also another experience very nice, and, and this is coming from, uh, um, I was able to have this because I um, I speak Spanish. Uh, they um, they are very intentional in um, making us or having us learn about themselves. Mm -hmm. Like Arise is not like, oh, okay, here you come, and we wanted this, and um, you provided for us. They want us to know about them and about their culture, and they um, have learning experiences for us. So this time, they arrange for us to visit families who live in the colonial and you realize that even though they have been there for many years uh, the family uh, uh, we visited uh, um, uh, had been there since the 80s mm -hmm. 85 or 82 I cannot remember and you realize how vulnerable still they are uh, because even though if they have the residency, they can still be detained for something they did like 20 years ago uh, and for that reason lose their jobs and then end up with no jobs thereafter. So um, this um, gentleman uh, at the end when we were leaving and he was closing the gate to his house, uh, he said, keep doing the work you are doing, you are really helping us a lot. So that that was a nice experience. And of course, the respite center is the the reality, like where you face, you wonder, uh, you, you just don't know what to do with what you see. It sounds from your stories like uh, this experience gave you firsthand knowledge of the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. Mm -hmm. How do you process that and how do you how do you move forward? How do you come back to St. Louis and kind of what is your regular life after viewing those two things? Well, it did take me the first time I went down there about two weeks to have any sense of normalcy in my head. I really did. I, I had to decompress uh, for quite a while. It, it was a shocking experience in many ways um, to see so many vulnerable people um, and, and who are so desperate who who can't access any systems at all, um, you know, not even food unless it's given to them. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that I did handle it all that well, but I, I, it didn't make me feel better that I was going to go back with my students in the spring. And so now that's what I'm, you know, the, the bit of consolation I'm taking out of it that, that I'm going to stick with the project and, and do what I can. And that's, that's all I can hope for. Yeah, I think that's similar to me as well. I um, I think I've just developed a stronger and stronger commitment commitment to work with the people uh, within Arise and uh, the Respite Center. And while I'm here, in between trips, I, I'm always like kind of preparing for the next trip. 
uh, talking to maybe students that are interested to take the uh, trip with us next time around, or working on projects that uh, Arise have, have asked us to work on. So um, I'm busy. I feel like I'm busy with, uh, with my work there, even though I'm living in St. Louis and have a life here, too. <laughs> Sylvia, what were your, how did you process the, that, what you saw there? Well, for me, I uh, I could say I'm, I'm, I'm an immig- immigrant myself, but I am a privileged one. And so it makes me realize uh, how privileged we are. And uh, uh, the respite center was what most impressed me, uh, to be honest, uh, because I cannot even imagine what can push these people to leave their their homeland. Uh, you you can ask some of them, where are you from, El Salvador? Which part of El Salvador? I don't know. So you can imagine, uh, do they know what is awaiting them? Or uh, so that that kept me thinking a lot uh, about this experience for a long time. And I I'm committed to this project, and I don't know. I wish there was something that could be more effectful, more um, uh, helping, um, um, but I don't know. When do you go back? Uh, well, we're, we're, we're waiting on dates. I've, uh, you know, for fall break, spring break, I mm-hmm. think is what we're hoping for. And um, so we're just kind of waiting to make sure those dates are okay. How many students do you think you'll take next time? Uh, we kind of try to keep our whole group around 12, uh, just because of transportation and space kind of issues. And, and how is this paid for? How is your trip paid for? Yeah. Uh, lots of different ways, really. Uh, the, uh, the university, ha- Webster University, has contributed funds to assist us in our travels, uh, which has been extremely helpful. I think they're committed to the project as well. And um, I think uh, most of the students uh, have to put up the money themselves, but we're looking towards grants to assist them with some of that. Yes, all of our students that have gone so mm-hmm. far have done this out of their own funds. Yeah. So um, to the point where, I mean, uh, the rest of us flew, but one of my students so desperately wanted to go that she drove by herself <laughs> on spring break from St. Louis all the way to the tip of Texas. It took her like 20 hours by herself in a car each way. Um, but she wanted that much to go and couldn't afford the airfare, so. Mm-hmm. With our brief time remaining, what's the one misconception about people who are coming to the southern border who want to come into the U.S. that you wish you could convince people of and, 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 and correct their perceptions of? I guess for me, uh that uh, I would say to talk to them, they are, are good people. They're very family-oriented, and they really want to do right by their family. And they're hoping that to come here will give their family a different life. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, not to keep telling individual anecdotes, but we did talk to one woman who had brought her eight-year-old child with her but left her 10-year-old child in Honduras to take care of her sister who was dying of cancer. 
And she came with her eight-year-old so that she could make any money at all. There were no jobs to be had in Honduras. And so she had to travel with her eight-year-old on foot um, to come here to just hoping to work for any amount of time. She didn't even care if she got deported just to come into the United States, do some agricultural work to get enough money to support her sister and her other child who were in Honduras, um, you know, and her 10-year-old her taking care of her sick sister. Sylvia? Well, coming from the literature and culture field, I would say that we should try to get to know these people and their cultures because when we don't know who they are, then we fear everything because everything is possible. But once you get to know them, then you realize that they are human beings like you, uh, but in a worse kind of situation. Marianne Drake and Garrity Rathert and Sylvia Navia, thank you so very much for being on St. Louis on the Air today. Really appreciate your time. It was great to be here. Thank you you very much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.